You see the title up there, A Jesus Church. I don't know if this is going to be a preach to you tonight or it's just going to be kind of hopefully encouraging to you tonight. Uh, I just want to encourage us to get on the same page together. If I were to admit to you my failure over the, the last 12 months since the last State of the Church address, I think you'll see it on the screen. So you see, last State of the Church address, I called us to be a Jesus church. A Jesus church. Now, I look back through the last year's uh, messages, and I know that I continued to urge us to be a Jesus church all the way through January. Somehow, Brother Cherry, being the really smart, sharp guy I am, I never mentioned it again. And yet I want us, it's my heart's desire, if we are going to take heed to the state of the church this morning, if we're going to take heed to this thing of changing that we can fulfill his mission, his desire, his dream for us as individuals and us as a church, it's going to be a mandate that we become a Jesus church. Now, what does that mean? I just thought tonight, instead of preaching to you or at you, I thought we'd just talk about it. Turn in your Bibles to the scripture you see on the screen, Matthew chapter 16. The reason that we're going to talk about being a Jesus church is actually found by what spurred my thinking on uh, this subject was the second verse of Hebrews 12 that we talked about this morning where it says, Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author, the source, and the completer, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. This scripture we read in our scripture reading this morning, I read it in part, and I want to get it in front of us, and then I want to just talk to us a little bit, and I want to give this to you in the form of an acrostic, because I use acrostic so it helps us remember what we're being called to be. If you will, let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Tonight we'll begin reading in verse 13. It is on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. I do hope you have your Bibles with you. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, still other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. And the text and the, and the message for us tonight, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, for the next few minutes, I pray that you will pierce our hearts with your word. And I pray that when we depart this place, that we'll depart this place a changed people changed by your word, changed by your power, changed by your leadership. I pray that you will change us from the inside out. And those concepts that are foreign to you, I pray that we'll replace them with concepts that you'll put in place. Those beliefs that are foreign to you, I pray that we'll put beliefs that come from you in place. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning to begin the message, or actually before the message when I read the scripture, I talked to us about 
being a key holder. Did you, med- did you think about that at all today? That you and I are the key holders for God, for our Lord Christ. We are the key holders, and whatever we lock on earth is locked in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I don't know about you, but I've been locked out of a room before. Does anybody know that? Been locked out of a car before. And it's no fun. What's fun is when your wife is locked out of the car and you get to walk up there and go, I sure wish. I sure wish. Now, you have to be kind of sanctimonious for this to work. I sure wish you wouldn't inconvenience me like this and lock your keys in the car. Now, anybody that's been married more than six months knows, do not say that. Do you know why? You're smarter than that. I don't know about you, Don. Well, some of the things you said this morning after the service, I questioned your, I expected the man to wake up dead any time now. But, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing to be a key holder. When I was in high school, I used to love to be the coach's assistant. Do you know why? I got the key to the gym. Now, Brandon, when I got the key to the gym, buddy, I was the most popular guy on campus. You know what I'm talking about? Because everybody wanted to go shoot hoops. Please listen. We are the key holders of the greatest news, the best news this world's ever known. And what do we do with it? I believe if we're going to be a Jesus church, we need to be a church that people can know that we're the key holders because they know who we are. And I want to talk to you. I'm not preaching to you. I'm not preaching to us. Somebody said this morning, one of our deacons walked off and said, you did a good job this morning. And he put a finger in his forehead. He said, you got him, and he was here. And I, and I looked at him, and I said, Dale Pearson, I said, here's the thing, man. When if I hit you right there with one, I had three hitting me right back in the face. But here's what I want to do. I don't want to preach to you, preach at you. I want you to think about some things tonight. I want you to think about some things. I know most of the pastors in this city, most of the pastors in our association. Honestly, know most of the churches by reputation like they know us. I am convinced from the bottom of my spirit that this community needs a church, a church family, a church body, a group of people who will choose to be Jesus in the community. And what would that mean? What would that look like? Well, I formed an acrostic up here. Let's see if she can get it up. Jesus. I'm going to take each letter. Write them down if you'd like, because you're going to hear them time and again this year if I stay true to my word. What does it mean? What's required? What are the characteristics? What are the qualities? Number one, joy. Joy. You know, Nehemiah said it. He said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So you know what the truth is? If you're not joyful, you're weak. Is that a fair assessment? If you have no joy from... Now, we're not talking about happiness, and we're not talking about silliness. We're talking about joy. That inner knowledge that you hold possession to something special. You know, when I look at the, when I look at the people of the first century, 
and I do that all the time, you can sense the joy from them because as they went from door to door, as they were dispersed, even after the uh, uh, martyrdom of Stephen, when they dispersed, they went telling people, and people could see it in them because it evoked such joy. Do you remember when you met Christ? I dare say that tonight, 90% or 99% of us in this room will call ourselves born-again believers. If that's so, do you remember the day you met Christ? Do you remember the joy that you had? The freedom you had? You ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Do you remember that you had to go to... When you went to Sunday school, you wanted to know what was going on. You wanted to fellowship with everybody. When you came into the service, you wondered what new song they were going to sing because these things are really good. And you just kept... There was joy oozing out of you. And you know what happens? An old joy stealer comes along. I have a friend. His name's Eddie Carswell. He's one of the founding members of the singing group known as New Song. Eddie, walked, Eddie, Eddie wrote this song when they first got together 25 years ago. It's called The Cold Water Committee. He said, you got saved and born again and you're so full of him. Just can't wait to tell it. And along comes the cold water committee. Douse of the flames of your heart. You know, I, I had another preacher to tell me one time, it's terrible when somebody gets saved in the, in the church and they have to backslide to get into fellowship with everybody else. You see, the truth is we should find the joy of our heart. Watch, watch what happens. Now, let's be serious just for a second. Watch what happens to our joy. We come into Christ and we're so filled with joy, it makes everybody sick. Now, watch this. Hang on to that thought. And you know who can't stand for you to be joyful? Satan. Satan cannot stand for you to be joyful. In fact, he really wants to make a whole church full of mullet grubbers. Complainers and gripers. And you know how to make a believer a mullet grubber? You get them tied up in sin. Watch how this plays out. Satan tempts you. You try it. You like it. Nobody said sin was not fun. But sin will destroy you. You try it. And so now, watch this. You have Jesus in your heart. You have Jesus who's been on the throne of your life. And now all of a sudden, you've given Satan a toehold in your life. And Satan taking a toehold in your life it will pretty soon come to a foothold and it will ultimately in your life become a stronghold. Now watch this. So now, you have pushed Jesus off your throne. Now watch this. Now that you've got sin in your life and you've got Jesus in your life and you've got sin in your life and you've got Jesus in your life, you can't find peace you can't find joy. You can't find happiness. All you are is miserable. In fact, you come into church and you sit down by Eddie Gordon and he's exuding with joy and it makes you mad. Irritates you. And misery loves company. So you know what you do? 
you begin to attack the person who has joined. Till you get them to sin, and there you are. And you get a church full of mully grovers. Listen, God has called us to be pure and holy. God has called us to be sin-free. Not because he doesn't want us to have fun. It's because he wants us to have joy. And I will tell you this. If we're a joyful church, we will not have to tell anybody. I want to say that again. You didn't hear that. If we are a joyful church, we won't have to tell anybody. Well, maybe we'll get there this year. Joy should be the badge that we wear. The E stands for encourager. Old country song. Sure could use a little good news today. Hello? I just want to remind you of something. You are a walking carrier of the best news in history if you know the Lord. The gospel is good news. The reason the first century people were so excited about it was because they found relief and they found release and they found freedom and they found assurance and they found security. They found all they need in Jesus. And watch this. And they were out telling each other how good they were doing. Dana, I haven't said this to you, honey. I wouldn't want your job for all the tea in China. Jeff, decided to leave us, and you're sitting on that bench, and you're doing a great job, and I love you for what you're doing. I, would, I don't want him, and I played decently. I don't want him. But you know what we need to be doing? We need to be encouraging one another. Wendell, good job with that choir, man. You're doing a good job. Really kind of fixing my crawl with Wendell because he always nails me with something. Good job, Wendell. Good job, Wendell. Yeah. We need to be encouraging one another. In fact, one of the things that came out of the deacons meeting today, we're going to have our antennas up, everybody. (laughs) You're going to hate your pastor and deacon. Because when we hear you mully-grubbing and griping, we're going to go, we don't hear that. And furthermore, you shouldn't be saying that. It hurts and harms the body of Christ. Oops. We need to be about encouraging one another. When people walk through this door, they may walk through this door with every kind of sin imaginable, every kind of hurt imaginable, and they need to be able to come here and find that we are a people who will embrace them and hold them up. Yes, we'll give them the truth. Yes, we'll stand on the truth, but we'll do it in a loving manner. We began deacons meeting tonight with the first three verses of the 13th chapter of Corinthians. You know, we can do a lot of good things. But if we have the wrong motivation, it's of no value. Paul writes, very familiar. If I speak with a language, there's a language of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if my body, and if I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You see, yes, we're going to stand on the truth, but we're going to stand on it in love, and we're going to try to encourage people toward that line of faith so they come to know Christ in a personal way. I got news for you. 
Now you listen to me. You go tell whomever you want to. I know all the pastors around here had lunch with most of them recently. Brother Rick, Brother Doug, Brother Kevin. I can go right down the line. You go tell them if you want to. But here's what, I'm on, here's what I want you to know. Churches today are not known to be encouragers. Church people are not known to be encouragers. And we need to change that starting here and starting now. You need to... Hey, wait a minute. Well, Brother Jerry, you need to get started being an encourager. You're right. But listen to me. You need to start being an encourager. You need to take your Sunday school teacher by the hand and say, You know what? I just want to tell you, I appreciate what you do. I appreciate the work you give. And you want to encourage them? Of course, now carry nitro in your, in your hand with them. You might say, Brother Terry, you're doing a great job with your class exploding. Like this, what can I do to help? Now, you carry, make sure he's got his nitro with him before you make that offer. Because I know he'll have a heart attack. We need to be encouraging one another in the Lord. If we're going to be a Jesus church, encouragement needs to be a part of our language. Amen? The first S stands for a concept we men don't like. Sensitive. We need to be sensitive. Now, I'm not talking about getting close to your feminine side. Ladies are tired of hearing me say this, and men are finally relieved that somebody is saying it right out. No offense, I don't have a feminine side. And if I do, I'm going to keep her buried as deep as I can keep her buried. Okay, my days of cross-dressing are over. I make an ugly woman. And some of you are saying, what are you talking, what do we got in our pulpit? My wife was notorious in the early days of her women's ministry for having, what kind of auction was that, baby? White elephant auction? White elephant auction. I wasn't the white elephant. Somebody else played that part. But I dressed up as a woman to go do the auction. Now, before you fire me, just get this. We raised a thousand plus dollars at Christmas time to buy Christmas for four families. You know, that little bit of, didn't hurt my, didn't hurt my manhood at all. It hurt somebody's cameras and other people's eyes, but not my manhood. But you know what the truth is? I'm not talking about being like a woman, but here's what I'll tell you. Men, you want to know what real manhood is all about? Don't miss 6 o'clock Wednesday night. Well, that's for authentic manhood. But here's what I'll tell you. It's, that is strength under control. My dad, not perfect by any stretch of imagination, but what I always respected and admired about him when he was in his prime and he climbed light poles every day and had muscles on top of muscles and just much of a man, I love watching my dad with a baby. It was so tender. It was so sensitive. And you know what the sensitivity is for us? Is that, watch this, let's start on the hard cases. It's that when we have to issue a rebuke for somebody, when it must be done biblically, that we do it firmly and we do it with a broken heart and with a heart of love. 
It's about men. We love them others more than we love ourselves. And we're going to get to that in a second. It's about being sensitive to their hurts. It's about being sensitive to their needs. It's about being sensitive to those around you. It's about empathy. Feeling like they feel. We're going to be a Jesus church. We have to show the joy and we have to do that and be encourage one another and be sensitive to one another. And I'll just I'll say this in passing, is that if you have if you have to confront somebody with something that's going wrong, wear this. If they had to say what I'm about to say to them, if they had to say it to me, how would I want them to say it? You know, that sounds a lot like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. I understand, the, I understand the golden rule of today. Do unto others before they do unto you. Do unto others and run. Do unto others like they do unto you. That's all man-made. Jesus said, do unto others the way that you want them to do to you. Be sensitive to them. The you stands for something that I've been harping on for a while. Unselfishness. Unselfishness. God has called us to be unselfish. I think of Jesus when I think of unselfishness. And I can go back to the scripture that I mentioned, the one that we preached from this morning, Hebrews 12. We'll keep our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of the faith. And watch this. Who for the joy before him, watch this. He endured the cross while despising its shame. Now watch this. There was nothing in that cross that Jesus really wanted or needed. I want to say that again. There's nothing in that cross that Jesus himself wanted or needed. It was a place of pain. It was a place of agony. It was a place of darkness. It was a place of death. Watch this. But you know why he endured the cross? Even though he despised it. I think about this. There was Jesus. The song said he could have called 10,000 angels. <clears throat> Don't you ever limit Jesus to 10,000. He could call legions of angels to, to bring him down off that cross. It's better than that. He could have spoke those word, a word and those men would have all died. He could have transformed into his glorified body like he did on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration and the nails wouldn't have hurt him. He had a lot of options. And the option that he took had nothing to do with him, but it had to do with this. Who for the joy before him. And you and I were the joy before him. He did it for you. And he did it for me. Now, doesn't it stand to reason that if Jesus came and did it for others, and if Jesus in John 20, 21 says, as the Father sent me, so send I you, doesn't it stand to reason that if Jesus is focused on others and not about ourselves, himself, doesn't it stand to reason that we should be focused on others and not be selfish? 
that we rise above the, the narcissistic culture that surrounds us. We rise above that selfishness that's around us. We don't give our money in the plate for what we get out of the church. And by the way, if you really give to the Lord, when you give, you turn it loose. George, Roy, Terry, you guys have been in places where people tried to hold you captive over the money they give. Well, preacher, do you know how much I give to that church? I had one a lot more. I had a pastor a lot more verbose than me. Somebody said that to him. Said, "You want it back? Financial secretary, right downstairs." You know, selfishness permeates the church. But listen, so you don't think I'm picking on us. The truth is, selfishness permeates every one of us outside of the grace, the mercy, and the leadership of Christ. Not one of us is above it. If we're going to be a Jesus church, we have to be unselfish. Now then, let me get in trouble. I've been good thus far. I had not gotten in trouble yet. You know what that means? If we're really unselfish, if we're really unselfish, that means it don't really matter whose Sunday school class we're in if we're making room for somebody that needs to come to Sunday school. That, don't, that means it doesn't matter what the service is like. That, that, means that, as, that means it doesn't matter what time it is, what the music happens to be, if we're making room and we, have an, and we have some things that are to reach people and bring them to the Lord. It doesn't matter if, we did, if we're doing something new or different as long as we're pointing people toward Jesus. In fact, I didn't mention this this morning, but you know, over the last two years, we have done one unique service after another one. We have had movie nights. We have had Super Sundays. We have obviously had revival efforts. We have had concerts. We have done about everything under the sun you can imagine. Do you, are you ready for this in my mind? Every one of those should mean something with a hook in it. I learned that from Dr. Ed Young, Second Baptist Houston, Texas. Went there a lifetime ago. Today that church has grown to 31,000 people. This is what he said. He said, everything we do has a hook in it that we can bring someone a little closer to the Lord. You realize that when we do these things, the unselfish thing is, maybe it's a music group you don't even really like. What do we do? I think I'll just stay home tonight. I think I'll stay home tonight. When really what we could do is, you know, that's not my kind of music. But, you know, Jim over here, he might really like that. So let me see if he'll go with me. And I'll be glad to sit through something I don't like if it gives Jim a chance to know the Lord. That's unselfish. That's the unselfishness of Jesus. And our world is dying for a church to be unselfish. Let's get to the last one. To me, that last S, obviously, is service. And we're serving. We don't have all the places put together yet, but I dare say in the days ahead, we're going to try to put a place for everybody to serve. Agnes that's over here is doing a good job to start off this prayer ministry. If you can't do anything else, am I right, Agnes? You can't do anything else, you can pray. Didn't I hear you say that? If you can't do anything else, you can pray. You can be a part of the prayer ministry. Talk to Agnes. 
Brother Jerry, I can't run with those teenagers anymore. Well, don't feel bad. I lead them in their, in their student choir, and I can't run with them anymore. And they love to remind me of that. But here's the truth. You don't have to run with teenagers. You don't have to run with children. We are doing some special things for our children. But you have to do it, whatever God has given in your heart and your physical capacity to do. Exercise that spiritual gift. Find out what that spiritual gift is and then use it. Are we going to be a Jesus church? Are we going to be a my church? You know, a Jesus church is concerned about others. My church is concerned about me. A Jesus church sees the future through God's eyes. A my church sees the past through human eyes. A Jesus church sees the lost people in the field. The lost church sees the convinced people in the pew. Brothers and sisters, I dare say this, at every point Jesus was confronted, at every point Jesus was confronted with people, here's what happened. He was moved with compassion. Now, if we're going to wear his name, shouldn't we become like he wants us to become? If we're going to wear the name Christian, shouldn't we imitate him? You remember the old story that I told? I'm going to tell this and I'm done. Now, I've told it a number of times, so just don't go to sleep on me. It won't be long. Because it fits so well right here. The young, the young 18, 17, 18-year-old was brought to Alexander the Great. And he was thrown down at the throne of Alexander the Great as he sat there that day judging. And Alexander looked down at the young boy thinking he probably should have been playing instead of fighting. And he had compassion on him. And he said, son, he said, officer, what's his crime? The officer said he ran from the battlefield. His crime is desertion. And he looked down trying to have compassion on the young boy and he said, Son, what's your name? He said, Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great was stunned. He said, What did you say your name was? He said, Alexander, sir. Story goes that Alexander jumped up off the, his little throne, picked the guy up, and threw him down on his back on the floor. He said, Son, what did you say your name was? Alexander, sir. Son, you change your name or you change your ways. I wonder if the Lord Jesus looks down at us sometimes and he says, What's your name? Christian, sir. What did you say your name was? Christian, sir. And I wonder if he looks down and he says, either change your name or change your way.